Okay, so those of you that are coming back from school and summer breaks, and we had ours, it was a great time. Welcome back. Uh, we're doing one more one-off before we get into what we're going to do for the fall. So what are we going to do for the fall? We're going to do Philippians. It's going to be called Joy in Jail. Everyone wants joy, nobody wants jail, and Paul gets both. So how and what is the dynamic and the reality of joy within, you know, trouble, jail? That's what we're going to look at. Today uh, is actually a passage that was the inspiration to a drive up to Dallas that I couldn't stop shutting off, and that's why we're doing it today. But first, we're going to begin this way. Nora Dorso, some of you may know her, you don't. Nora Dorso has a son named Joe, and she's from Lindenhurst, New York, and her son Joe is turning six years old. Great day, right? And so her and her husband held a quick, you know, parent team meeting. And they said, it's time. Yes, it's time. It's time for Joe to ditch the Winnie the Pooh underwear for something a little bit more studly, like the Incredible Hulk briefs, right? So they do this. Joe walks into his room. He finds this package laying on his bed. He goes to it. He rips it open. He pulls out the Incredible Hulk briefs, and he shouts in triumph, Finally, adult underwear! <laughs> uh, this text that we're about to look at has the power to make you think and make you feel Finally, adult church. What if I told you that what we're about to look at is absolutely deeply personal to me? It's like, who cares? You're just a dude that's supposed to communicate the scriptures. I get that. But sometimes you need to maybe see an inside look. What if I told you that what we're about to look at is absolutely what keeps me going? That it's what reaches me and renews me? What if I told you it's what puts me back together again every day? What if I told you it's the only thing that speaks me back to life? What if I told you it beats out a window in my dark soul to let some light from heaven in? What if I told you it enlightens my mind and it enlivens my heart and it energizes my life? The only thing that does. What if I told you, finally, adult church? What if I told you it's the only thing that keeps me going in the ministry? The only thing that makes me feel deep in my bones, oh Lord, please, let me run. What if I told you that without it, apart from what we're looking at today, I would be stuck on the merry-go-round of trying harder. I'd be stuck on this merry-go-round of trying to feel more. <laughs> stuck on this merry-go-round of trying to activate God more in my life. Stuck on this merry-go-round of absolutely spiritual FOMO. Oh, is it happening over there? I need to go over there. Oh, no, it's over there. No, it's that book. I'd be all over the place. 
What if I told you, without, apart from what we're about to look at today, I would experience very little of God, very little of his love, very little of his mercy, very little of his active presence, very little of personal faith, like I would have very little personal faith, little hope, little love, little love for people, friendship, little friendship, little community. What if I told you without what we look at today, I would have little love for life, little meaning in work, little joy in family and friends, little wonder like at the ocean, little like aha when you read a good book, little like intrigue at a Netflix Netflix flick called Chimp Empire. Little wonder that someone can dive 110 meters with one breath down into the ocean where it gets dark and come back up. What if I told you without what we look at today, I'd be curved in on myself with no escape? I would lose my wife and my kids somewhere along the way. I would leave the ministry to make some real money and to live a big life. What if I told you what we're about to look at is finally adult church? Without what we're going to look at today, you know what happens to you, not just to me. I'm not the only one. Without what we look at today, you will live an underwhelming life. Underwhelming. Please stand for the reading of God's word. So, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. When you hear that word scribes, let's go back to that if we can. You should be thinking they're pastors, they're church leaders, they're Bible experts. Okay, next. This is Acts uh, 42. So Jesus teaches what happens. Paul preaches and teaches. Now watch what happens. And they went out. The Apostle Paul just finished preaching and teaching. And the people begged. That's an interesting word. They begged that these things might be told to them at the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. What happened next Sunday? The next Sunday, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Amazing. I wonder, like, does that happen today? I mean, we gather for a lot of things. I gather for a lot of things, but can you imagine the whole city going out to hear words that they're actually begging to hear? But here's the trick. This is not about you trying to work up this astonishment and you trying to work up this begging because we're going to adult church. We're going to look at the only thing that can make it happen. This is the word of the Lord. All right, please be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would fill us all with your spirit so what we're about to look at 
Uh, we need you to open our eyes and lighten us, clear to the mind. We need you to work in our hearts to make it real to us, to move us, to hit us, to astonish us. So, O oh Holy Spirit, come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so finally, adult church. Everyone feels it, you feel it, everyone feels it. Everyone knows the church is underwhelming today. I mean, who doesn't know that? Um, it's been proven in all the statistics, all the research that's going out. I mean, the church is just scrambling, and it's like a sinking ship, and nobody knows what to do. It's just that we're going down. So who's to blame? Uh, the, first, the first culprit is always the culture, right? Oh, the culture, the culture. The culture is not to blame. Uh, the church is like an addict. It can't help itself. And when it self-sabotages, it just brings the culture down with it. It's the church. It's us. It's us. So what can be done? There's this guy named Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He died in 1981, but he is called by many one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century. That's the 1900s. He pastored for over 42 years, 30 in one church in London called the Westminster Chapel. He wrote the best book on preaching I ever read except one called The Gospel Ark. Some dude wrote that. Uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Uh, there's two volumes that have been written by him that when I was coming here, I read two volumes on him, and I used all, most of them ideas. Those of you here in the very beginning, I acted like they were my ideas. They came from his book. They're the things he did when he began his ministry, and I just started. I was like, nobody told me how to church plan. I'm just going to do what this dude did because he was really good at it. He was J.I. Packer's pastor. Do you all know who J.I. Packer is? He's the most famous modern theologian of the past 60 years. So if you were around in the 70s, 80s, 90s, all the way up to 2020, pretty much he's a household name in the church. He wrote a book called Knowing God that everybody's read, an absolute classic. Um, but he, Martin Lloyd-Jones was his pastor. And this is what he said about him. I never heard such preaching. It hits you with the force of electric shock, bringing to at least one of his listeners, meaning him, him, more of a sense of God than any other man. All right, so why am I bringing this up? Martin Lloyd-Jones was famous for saying something. And we're going to say it here. But we're not going to give the answer. We're going to try to fill it in. Martin Lloyd-Jones would say, the most urgent need of the Christian church today is, how would you fill in that blank? Would you fill it in with um, to feel more? Like we need more passion. We need more desiring God. We need better worship experiences. Is that the, the most urgent, central, crucial need to the church today? The most urgent need in the Christian church today is, is it to think more? Do we need more doctrine, more theology, uh, more biblical teaching? We need, we need better Christian education. Is that what the church desperately needs today? The most urgent need in the Christian church is to do more. We need more mission. We need to better ministry practitioners. We need better volunteering and more effective leaders. We need effective ministry. We need to know what to do. Is that what we need? The most urgent need in the Christian church today is to be more. We need people that are more holy, for crying out loud, more obedient, more dedicated and committed and more surrendered and more yielded, a fully functioning follower of Jesus. The most urgent need in the Christian church today is fill it in. I got others. My wife is saying, you could have just used three. That was really good. You're overdoing it now. 
but I'm that dude that just keeps going, keeps going. So I have activate more. You need more of the Holy Spirit. You need to tap into more of the Holy Spirit. You need to access the Holy Spirit. You need to surrender so you get more of the Holy Spirit. Yield this particular area of your life so Christ has lordship over that area of your life. Is that what we need? Is it the true church? We need more apostolic practices. We need, we need higher church, reverence, true worship. We need the eastern church, less of the western church. Is that what we need? Last one, do we need to protest more? Social justice, more anti-stuff, better political activism. The most urgent need in the Christian church today is true preaching, he said. The most urgent need in the Christian church today is true preaching, and as it is the greatest and most urgent need in the church, it is obviously the greatest need of the world also. What can be done for underwhelming lives? What can be done for our underwhelming lives? What can be done for the underwhelming church? The first answer, according to one of the greatest communicators of all time, is reckless preaching. And that's not what we're going to look at today. But I just need to say it. I mean, I would love to say it. I would love to say that we need, we need reckless preachers that beg the risen one to run, to run, to run. Gospel preaching cannot be overplayed today. Anti-celebrity pastors cannot be overplayed today. Second answer comes from our text today. So just to kind of keep the creativity going, reckless preaching or reckless preachers, we need reckless teaching. What's the most urgent need? What will address your underwhelmingness and my underwhelmingness? What did I say was so deeply personal to me? Reckless teaching. Okay, let's go. 728, shall we? Matthew 728. This is what's so interesting. This is why you pay me the big bucks, because I go into the original language and I look around. You see where it says, and when? There's actually, in the original language, something in between and when. And it goes like this. And it happened when. And this is so important. And it happened when. That's how all Bigfoot sightings start. And it happened on October 31st, Halloween, at midnight, right? Full moon. I hear this howling in the distance. So I take the shortcut home through the woods. Of course you did. My flashlight flickers off. I can't see. I don't know where I'm going. And I wander into an ancient cemetery. And it happened, right? That's how you're supposed to read that. And it happened when Jesus finished these sayings. Here's Bigfoot. The crowds were astonished at his teaching. To be astonished means to be amazed. It means to be amazed to the point that you're overwhelmed. You know, the ancient Greeks, I love the ancient, the ancient world is so vivid, it's so like, it's so textual and it's so, 
it's so terrainish with their words. Like their words become a terrain. It becomes this textual fabric. And I love vivid images. They said this. The ancient Greeks described being amazed as this. To push you out of your senses. Do you see Bigfoot? It goes like this. And it happened. What happened? Jesus' teaching happened. Jesus' teaching is Bigfoot. And it happened that when Jesus taught, astonishment, people were pushed out of their senses. They were pushed out of themselves. This is amazing. How can teaching actually do that? How can teaching actually, like, push you out of yourself? What has such power? What has such life? What has such ability to astonish you and push you out of your life? All mental health experts agree about this, don't we? I mean, I'm not a mental health expert, but those of you that are, don't we all agree about this, though? Because as a pastor, I deal with this all the time. My own life, everybody's life. To get out of your head is the very definition of mental health. To be pushed out of yourself is the very definition of being a healthy person. Astonishment is pushing you out of yourself. I never heard such preaching. It hit you with the force of electric shock, bringing to at least one of his listeners more of a sense of God than any other man. Reckless teaching is teaching that astonishes you, teaching that pushes you out of yourself. This is what you need. You need teaching that astonishes you. You need to be pushed out of yourself. This is what the church needs. The church needs to be astonished. The church needs to be pushed out of itself. The church needs teaching that astonishes. Finally, adult church. So, I love doctrine. I love theology. I love biblical teaching. Those of you that know me are like, of course you do. We know you're the geek that loves all that stuff, Jeff. I'm like, that's true. But I guarantee you, if I put one of my high school friends up here on stage, and I put one of my college friends up here on stage, they would laugh at you for thinking such silliness. Years ago, when I was fresh out of college, I was a new, highly motivated campus minister. I was at Brown University, and the very first day of my job, I'm in the living room of the campus director. And the very first thing he asked me, he says, do you like to read, Jeff? And I went, no. And he said, I said, I would rather get things done. Because everyone knows that if you don't get things done, you read. Yeah. I was a little edgy back then. Maybe still am. I don't know. Am I, honey? Sorry. Undeterred, he says, Jeff, do you know why you don't read? I start to open my mouth. You haven't read anything worth reading. You haven't read anything that really captures you, anything that grabs your attention. I start to open my mouth. What captures you, Jeff? What grips you? What do you really, really like? So I read my very first book from cover to cover as a 22-year-old grown you-know-what man. My first book. 
The whole interaction today makes me laugh. Like, it does. The guy's name is Greg Gansel. I love this guy. He's, he's like brilliant off his rocker mind. He's written all kinds of stuff. He's out in the West Coast now, I think. But he knew way before I did. He knew that you and I are wired to be astonished. That's how you're made. So I plow through every Tom Clancy thriller that fall. Those of you that aren't familiar with Tom Clancy, you young generation people, right? Uh, that was my very first book. Those of you that, everybody heard of Rainbow Six, you gamers, Rainbow Six, that's Tom Clancy, just so you know. His stuff, you know, the spies, the gun. Well, anyhow, I read through, plowed through every one of them. Then, World War II history, that winter and that spring. Great battles, personal accounts. Many a pub turned their light out on me during that time. Then, almost a year into my reading conversion, I finally crack open a Christian book. And I remembered why I just want to get things done. Over the next four years, God got incredible things done in the life of Brown students and athletes. Amazing is a good word. Multitudes. I'm not exaggerating. Multitudes came to Jesus. And then led their girlfriends and boyfriends to Jesus and his salvation. Then they read their roommates and their classmates and their teammates to Jesus and his salvation. Then they led their parents, their siblings, and their grandparents to Jesus and his salvation. And then they went down to Daytona Beach on the beaches and led college students all over the United States to Jesus and his salvation. And then during Christmas break, we went to a Philadelphia jail and led Philadelphia juveniles to Jesus and his salvation. They went into the ministry, they became active in their church, they're active leaders in their church, they're raising their own kids, they led their kids to Jesus and his salvation, they led their future spouses to Jesus and his salvation. But what about Christian books and doctrine and theology and all of that stuff? How were you doing with that, Jeff, during those four years? I tried. I think I read maybe one or two. I tried. I tried this recommendation. I tried that best-selling teaching again and again and again, and nothing captures me. Nothing is astonishing. But I was looking for it. I needed it. There was this growing void for something more. You are wired to be astonished. So year five as a campus minister, I'm on the other side of the world, starting campus ministries in a place called the former Soviet Union. We go in two weeks after a coup. Literally, the whole country's having a panic attack, and we're right in the middle of it. I was in a place called Almaty, Kazakhstan, and once again, God did amazing things. He got a lot of stuff done, and if amazing was what Brown has described, extra amazing is what this is described. Multitudes and multitudes of unreached people came to Jesus and his salvation. So much so that it was on a heightened level. All the strange things that happened to Brown were now happening here, but on steroids. So much so, it spills over into Bishkek, Kyrgyzstan, which is still, to this day, one of the most spiritually receptive. People say a revival's happening in Kyrgyzstan. I ran into somebody who was there like 10 years ago, and they go, Jeff, it's still there. It's still happening. We saw the most amazing things happen in that country. Amazing. But what about reading Christian books? What about biblical teaching? What about doctrine and theology? 
How is that going during this a year of amazing ministry? And the answer is, I brought one solitary, lonely Christian book with me for the whole year. And it was a book about God. God. It was not how I could connect with him, how I could be blessed by him, how I could be all I could be for him. It was just about God. It wasn't about how to be used by God, how to do effective ministry, how to communicate with leaders, how to lead a movement. It was just about God. It wasn't about how to activate the Holy Spirit and how to tap into more power and signs and wonders in my life and how to learn to be a yielded, surrendered, fully functioning follower of Jesus. It was about God. It wasn't about how to be authentic like Paul and how to be in a loving, encourager, teammate like Barnabas or how to be a cultural influencer like Esther. By the way, can I just tell you, do you know what her strategy was? Her strategy to being culturally an influencer? By being very beautiful. Nobody talks about that strategy in the church. As I read this book about God, I feel this tingle of astonishment. You are wired to be astonished. Year six and seven, I'm doing campus ministry still, but I'm married now. We met in the Soviet Union. I tell you, those of you, are, are anybody here like looking for a spouse? Ah, <laughs> oh, come on. Have some guts. You are. Here's my advice to you. If you're looking for a spouse, go where you will never find one. That's how you find them. Go where they'll never find one. Go to the other side. Be a missionary. That's where you find them. All right. Nancy and I are in Boston. We're reaching the most elite students in the world, at least on paper, right? All I know is, everybody talks about it today, they call it burnout. All I know is, is I was absolutely, utterly exhausted. And not the good kind of exhaustion. You know, there's the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. You know, you've got so much work, you're tired. That's great exhaustion. I'll take that exhaustion anytime. I'm talking about the exhaustion that gets you down at the roots of your being. It goes down to the very fabric of your DNA. It's actually in your cells. You are so exhausted, you're like, oh my word, what's wrong with me? That's the kind of exhaustion I'm talking about. That's burnout. One day a friend on our team says, hey Jeff, you might like this dude. He's a modern theologian. You might like this dude. He, he writes about what's called classical Christianity. I go, what's classical Christianity? He says, it's what we used to believe. I went, oh, Okay, so I take it home and I read it. Never forget this. I walk up to Nancy and I go, honey, because I thought there were only three people in the world that believed what we believed, or at least were starting to believe what we were believing. Honey, do you know what you and me and Piper believe? It's called classic Christianity, classic Protestantism. Next day I see him, I said, give me everything you've got, dude. And I read and I read, and I read, and I read, and I was astonished. You are wired to be astonished. 
Perhaps you can relate to my story. I don't know if I've told it. I've told it in bits and pieces here and there. But it's time. It's like time to tell that story. Maybe you can relate, or maybe you don't. But here's what I do know. Some of you need to know that there is nothing wrong with you right now. You just need to be astonished. That's all. Some of you are sitting here thinking, something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with you. You just need teaching that astonishes you. You just need to be astonished. You just need to be pushed out of yourself. Some of you are stuck. You're tired. You're discouraged. You're confused. You just don't know what to do. You know, why do I feel so underwhelmed in church? That's what you ask every Sunday. Why do I feel so underwhelmed in church? Why do I feel so underwhelmed, like Christianity just doesn't seem to work for me? You've tried everything. You've read everything. You've gone to every generation. You've gone to every tradition, every theological stripe. You've tried this aspect, that aspect, this activation, this belief. And you're coming to the conclusion that Christianity just doesn't work. Please hear me. Teaching that underwhelms you gives you you. Teaching that astonishes gives you Jesus. You need Jesus. Finally, adult. Some of you want this to be true. You're just not sure. I mean, let's be honest. You just don't want to get your hopes up, right? Because if you get your hopes up and it doesn't come through, you're disappointed again and you're at the end of your options. Matthew 7, 28, can we put it up? And it happened, here comes Bigfoot, when Jesus finished these words, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Why were they astonished at his teaching? For, don't you love grammar? For, here's the reason. For, he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like their Bible experts, pastors, and church leaders. Authority, one who had authority. Do you know what that means? One who had authority means he taught as one who has original, authorial life and power. He taught with divine life and divine power. When, te- when Jesus teaches, you know what happens when he teaches? Divine life and divine power is unleashed on you. In other words, when Jesus teaches, God shows up. And he shows up to save you. He shows up to speak you back to life again. He shows up to reach you and renew you. He shows up to forgive you 
He shows up to love you. He shows up to listen to you, to hear you, to see you, to know you. He shows up to hug you. He shows up to give you his goodness that's better than life. He shows up to give you his strength and his strong right arm because you need it, because you're desperate and you can't do it. He shows up with power and he shows up with compassion. He shows up with majesty and he shows up with mercy. When Jesus teaches, God shows up with divine life and divine power. When he shows up, he beats out a window in your dark soul and lets the light of heaven in. He enlightens you, he enlivens you, he energizes you. When Jesus teaches, one who has authority shows up. Teaching that astonishes gives you Jesus. Teaching that underwhelms gives you you. That's why there's a contrast. Let's put that last 29 up. Do you see it? For he was teaching them as one who had authority. Here's the contrast. And not as their scribes and their Pharisees. Because the scribes, the pastors, the church leaders were giving teaching that's underwhelming because all they were doing was giving them you. But when Jesus shows up, he gives you himself. All right, so here's how we're going to end. Jesus heads down the mountain, right? He's just done. He just preached. Bigfoot showed up. He did the, whoo, Bigfoot, you know, and people are astonished. And it took Matthew 5, 6, and 7 for all that to happen. They call it the Sermon on the Mount. Just, you know, small sermon, like one of the greatest ever preached in the history of the planet. Just a small thing. And now he's coming down the mountain. And here's the first thing that happens when he's coming down the mountain. What happens next when he's coming down the mountain is the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the whole movement of the Sermon on the Mount. It's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. It's what's supposed to hit you and astonish you. Here's what happens. Here it comes. I'm just going to read it for you. And behold. In other words, when the Bible says behold in the text, it's always saying pay attention. So he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. Bigfoot shows up. And it happened. People are astonished. He's now walking down the mountain. And behold. Pay attention, everybody. Here's the point of the Sermon on the Mount. A leper came to him and knelt before him. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is to make you a leper. To drive you out of yourself to where you are so free now to say, I am a leper. I am the most unclean person on the planet. Teaching that astonishes you pushes you out of yourself. Let's keep going. You ready? What does the most unclean person on the planet do? Because the leper was the most unclean person on the planet. He was the most messed up. He was the most broken. He was the most dirty. He was the most filthy. He was the most unloved, unworthy, unaccepted person on the planet. He was the most avoided, lonely, abandoned, rejected person on the planet. He was the most self-conscious, self-absorbed, can't get outside of himself because he sees himself every time he gets up and he knows this is who he is and he can't be around other people. He is trapped in himself. She is trapped in herself. 
What does this person on the planet do? Answer, hearing astonished teaching, runs to Jesus. Pushed outside of himself to Jesus. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. <laughs> Sorry. Sometimes this is very overwhelming. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. This is absolutely astonishing because you and I know, because I love words, right? I love words. I love words. I love, say it. You know, the Bible's about say it, speak it. All Jesus has to do is say it. All he has to do is say let it be, and it will be. Be clean, and he'll be clean. But what's astonishing in this passage is that Jesus reaches out and touches him. Touches the most unclean person on the planet. Do you know that Jesus touches those parts of you that you can't stand. Do you know that Jesus touches those most unclean places to you? Do you know that Jesus touches the shame in you? He touches the sin in you. He touches it. He touches it with his death, and he touches it with his resurrection. Be clean. Be astonished. Be pushed outside of yourself. To Jesus. To Jesus. Finally, adult church. Let me pray for us.